All right, everybody, welcome to the Actually, wait, hold on. Let me make sure I'm recording. Yeah. Um, All right. Everybody, welcome to the July 5th edition of Cascadian Views. I've got Dan with me here today. Howdy, howdy. Uh, we, uh, we're kicking off. Sorry we weren't here last week. I started a new job, and the hours are just crazy. Um, but we're, we're going to kick off this week with uh, two weeks' worth of pretty impactful Supreme Court decisions that have come down. Um, we had a few that were relatively unexpected. Um, I don't think many people expected the Dreamers to win uh, at SCOTUS, especially after oral arguments. Um, but Chief Justice Roberts has decided that they did everything wrong <laughs> with ending DACA, and while mm -hmm. it's not illegal for them to end DACA, they have to do it the right way, and now kicks off a whole new process, which basically means the election determines the fate of DACA. Right. Yeah, I mean, which, again, it's a lot in line, I would say, with some of these other Roberts' opinions over the last... Well, they weren't all Roberts' opinions, but some of them have been... I'm trying to think of the one that most relevant to this, and it's probably from last year, the census decision was more or less the same, where the administration wanted to do something horrible, uh, but they had gone about it in this kind of haphazard way without any significant justification. And ultimately, Roberts decided that they'd violated the Administrative Procedures Act, basically told them, send it, send it back to them, you know, show your work, do this correctly, and then we'll see. I mean, fortunately, in that case, and in this one as well, you know, the administration is not going to have enough time, assuming everything goes well in November. <laughs> um, the other one that was kind of weird, especially in regards to Robert's vote, was the uh, abortion case out of Louisiana, which uh, was basically a carbon copy of a Texas law mm -hmm. that the Supreme Court struck down before Trump added his justices. Roberts voted against that case um, in Texas, and he acknowledged that in his uh, opinion on this one, where he, by the way, concurred. It was really a 4-1-4 decision by the court. Uh, Roberts concurred with the liberals solely in the uh, outcome of the case. He rejected every legal theory they had, uh, and even put very prominently in his decision that he continues to believe whole women's health, which was the Texas case, was wrongly decided, but he could not allow the court to change the exact same case in the space of three years. Right, right. Just, it was too recent a precedent for him to come back and re revisit, which, interesting formalism, I guess. I'm trying to think of anything else to say on that, but that really is a good description of his thinking and how he's gone in some of these handfuls, you know, it's probably what I would say, at least in these really high profile cases, he's gone against the administration. It's getting close to about half the time, I would say, yeah. you know, somewhere in there. I mean, we've had some pretty high profile opinions where he's gone the other way, but here at least, yeah, it's, you finding, you know, on fairly narrow technical grounds, but still there's only so far you can push him. Uh, one of the cases where he sided with the conservatives um, recently was in a uh, Montana tax case, which is 
pretty technical in what the court got into, but the end result is fairly easy to grasp uh, in the fact that they ruled that the state cannot discriminate against religious institutions uh, in terms of the disbursement of public funds. Uh, many states have what are called Blaine Amendments, uh, which prohibits any state funding of religious institutions, uh, <laughs> primarily among them religious schools. Uh, Montana had a had a uh, policy where um, states or uh, private schools in the state that enrolled students could get uh, a kickback from state taxpayer funding for the students that they enroll. Um, it was initially applied to every school, including religious schools. The Montana Supreme Court stepped in and clarified that that state's Blaine Amendment does not allow these religious schools to get public funding. Uh, so the state took that public funding away from the uh, religious private schools. They sued, and the, the court decision now says you cannot place any sort of religious test on state funding. Yeah. I actually had not been as familiar with this one, but yeah, that's fascinating development. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, oh, the uh, Espinoza versus Montana Department of Revenue case had a, a fairly long history. This policy dates back, uh, I think, close to a decade ago, maybe even longer than that. Um, but yeah, it's it's one I have a hard time getting completely worked up about in this specific instance. But the concept of the Blaine amendments being taken down actually really does strike pretty hard at this. I. I view uh, a wall of separation between church and state as fairly important um, for, for pretty obvious reasons. Like, it, it was pretty close to the one time that, you know, we expect courts to interpret what the founders meant when they, they wrote these documents and whatnot. The, the, wall of, uh, the wall of separation between church and state comes from somebody deciding to ask Jefferson while he was still alive. <laughs> what he what he meant by the you know the Bill of Rights and whatnot, and whether or not it was kosher for I believe it was a Baptist congregation in Connecticut, uh, Danville Baptist Church if I remember right, uh, saying that it it seems obvious to them that the founders meant any type of Christianity, <laughs> and they wrote a letter to Jefferson asking him to clarify, and that's where the phrase. Uh, while the separation between church and state, which appears nowhere in the actual documents, comes from, he wrote that he intended it to erect a wall of separation between church and state, and that the state should not be able to speak on religion. Uh, right. When you start funding with taxpayer dollars, people who are, by the way, probably not part of that religion, um, it really seems to me like you endanger that separation. Sure, and it gets, I guess it cuts against the... Uh... It's not free exercise. It's the other that I'm thinking of. the The other test on the First Amendment as to you know the other prong on which someone can be, uh, yeah, compelled to participate, you know, in some religious yeah, function that ordinarily right, right, or compelled belief, you know, this participation. And yeah, yeah, I think that's a perfectly you know legitimate you know line of constitutional interpretation that you know unfortunately has been you know pushed very hard against in the past few decades 
It just but, seems yeah. to me that this decision has it both ways. We don't require mm-hmm. religious houses to pay taxes. They are considered separate from the state. So if mm-hmm. we don't do that, why is the state then turning around and supporting that? I, right. I have a very hard time with that. Yeah. Uh, those were the two most recent cases. We also had a, a few other ones. Do you want to run down a list, maybe, of ones that caught your eye? You are the oh, legal man. expert on the show. Yeah, I don't have that in front of me, but I could think back. Trying to think, it's been it's been two weeks since we gathered. So did we hit? Let's see here, you covered the abortion one. There was DACA, which we also hit. I'm trying to think of some of these others. I want to make sure that we didn't miss any. Uh, just a moment. Let's see here. Uh, we had the sanctuary uh, cities decision. I don't know if we covered that in the previous episode, but basically, they're not compelled to uh, assist immigration officials at the federal level at all. Right. Let's see here. Yeah, yeah. Again, much relief that you know this is something where the federal government has definitely been aggressively pushing on this given the current administration. And so you have some pushback now from the Supreme Court, at least holding back on that for a little while. Um, let's see here. Well, did we cover the uh, – let's see here. What was I thinking of? The LGBT uh, discrimination case. I was thinking we might you know have. We might I'm have, trying to think if we did not. If we're looking at the Supreme Court, we might as well. Um, One of the bigger ones from this month, for sure. Yeah. And the court held um, an opinion, I believe Gorsuch was behind? Yes. Or was that he was the author of that it one. Was Gorsuch. Okay. No, Kavanaugh was in the minority for that one. Yeah. Yeah, basically yeah. saying that sexual orientation and uh, gender identity are invariably linked to sex. And that, um, I think it was Title IX or Title VII? Title um, IX. Title IX, yeah. that prohibits discrimination on the basis of sex, um, absolutely mm-hmm. covers transgender people and LGBT Americans and the entire queer spectrum, as you will. Right. Uh, one of the probably most expansive rulings from the court in a few years, to be honest. Uh, honestly, you know, since Obergefell, I'd say, I'd say, on um, you know, pretty much any civil rights, I would say, honestly, and that goes back to 2015. So definitely, you know, since Trump took office, this is the big case on gay rights and civil rights in general that's moved in a positive direction for sure, and you know, lots of gnashing of teeth of the uh, Federalist Society types, but you know. They get they've got what's coming to them. They've you know, kind of sold everything out in the hopes of getting you know, these retrograde Supreme Court decisions, and it's nice to see things kind of bite them a little bit on some very important cases that are just going dramatically against them, and where they counted on the court to be a bulwark against what's becoming an increasingly unpopular political stance in regards to gay rights. We've come a long way from Karl Rove saying he was going to hang gay marriage around the neck of every Democrat in the country. Right. Absolutely. 
and the court still has a few uh, important cases to take up. Most prominent among them is the Trump tax cases, which may come as soon as tomorrow. Um, those are two separate cases. One is um, the House suing for access to them for their oversight role. The other one is the uh, New York City DA, in fact, I think specifically the Manhattan DA, uh, trying to get his tax returns for a grand jury is convened. Yeah. And uh, watchers of the court kind of expect the House to lose and the DA to win. I'm assuming the House to lose on political question grounds. Yeah, uh, just that it's not something the court should get involved in, or it's not. Yeah. If they do get involved in, they'd explicitly say that, you know, there's no actual oversight purpose on it, or no legislative purpose on this. It's simply, you know, harassing the president. Uh, yeah. Whereas the DA, um, even several members of the conservative side seemed pretty unwilling to rule that a DA doesn't get the documents that he needs to do his job. Sure. Uh, but also, we could be in for a surprise on that. I'm not completely sold on the fact that Roberts thinks he has to just bury Trump to get, you know, the monkey off the back of the Supreme Court. Eric mm -hmm. Erickson, uh, the founder of Red State, I don't believe he's uh, affiliated with them any longer, but he, it was his baby, uh, had a whole post about how Roberts is uh, deliberately pumping the brakes on conservative gains for the rest of the Trump administration just because it doesn't strike the public as legitimate that Washington is in an illegitimate place right now under Trump and that uh, any sort of hmm. gains that conservatives have under this would be considered you know, ill-gotten, wouldn't be respected in the future. Yeah, he had a, a whole theory of this uh, written up. I don't know if I completely buy that. But I do believe that if Roberts is as concerned about legitimacy as he's portrayed to be in the media, which I have my doubts on, but just taking them at their word for now, um, I could very much see him feeling the need to shine sunlight into the Trump administration in order to uh, reacquire some of this legitimacy in government. Sure, sure. I mean, that's probably about as raw a political calculation or description of what Roberts is doing as you could think of. But yeah, I've, <laughs> I've said similar things about him, but from the left, so I can't totally throw that out. Yeah. It was just something that I thought was uh, fairly interesting. Sure. Uh, there's a few other important cases. Um, I find the article I was pulling this list off of real quick. One second. financial records we already talked about. Uh, the contraception mandate from Obamacare is back up in front of the court. Oh, yeah. Yeah, whether or not uh, private employers who oppose birth control have to pay for the contraception uh, mandate. There's already a loophole for religious institutions, and the court has previously extended that to closely held private companies. Um, now it's just do companies in general. <laughs> right. So, uh, a requirement uh, to cover uh, 
contraception. We'll see if, yeah, Walmart gets the same rights. I mean, honestly, if you're going to take the interpretation that Hobby Lobby can, it's pretty hard not to just apply that to Walmart as well. So, well, so Hobby Lobby is not a publicly traded company. It's right. privately held, uh, mostly by a single individual. I don't believe that corporations have feelings. What's no. I don't believe that they have values. But if you're willing to entertain the argument that they do, which, once again, I don't believe, but I could see a line being drawn between a company mostly hold, held by one person and that person's views on the subject being controlling versus a company that is owned by literally millions of shareholders. Right, right. So, well, we'll, I guess we'll find out then. See yeah. how it's very much been, you know, the case with a lot of these Supreme Court cases over the last couple of years. But yeah, it seems to follow. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, the uh, one of the other cases is about faithless electors. We've talked about this a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll see if that stands. I. It's weird to me. Um, they're not exercising their free speech. They are a government functionary. <laughs> they are doing a job that they are directed by the public to do. Um, I don't think, you know, the act of a county clerk doing her job is any more a First Amendment than an elector. So that's where I fall on that. But we'll see how that goes. It's also a good reason to get rid of the Electoral College if we're having to decide yeah. this stupid shit. Like, why even have this, like, extra layer that may completely screw everything up if we don't need it? Just have a national popular vote. Yeah. Yeah, that, that would be a no-brainer, but, you know, you're not evil. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Next big case that's still left to be decided. I, I would consider five of the eight remaining courts, uh, cases before the court to be relatively large. Uh, so the next one is religious exemptions from discrimination suits, whether or not religious employers such as religious schools run by the Catholic diocese, uh, for example, are um, subject to employment discrimination laws, whether hmm. or not they could fire gay teachers and whatnot. This is already kind of settled. If you deliver religious uh, religious services, it's called a ministerial exemption. Um, yeah. The question is whether a second grade teacher at a Catholic school, for example, is a minister under that exemption, whether they're delivering religious services or whether they're just a functionary employee of a religious institution. Hmm. Yeah. And so if this gets decided in favor of the religious organizations, it basically means anybody employed by any sort of religious hospitals, Catholic Church runs quite a number of hospitals around the country through a number of uh, different uh, what's the term for a monk? Um, A monastic order or a yeah, there there are several monastic orders within the Catholic Church that run hospitals um, even groups that are quasi-religious, the um, the Shriners are part of the Masons, uh, mm-hmm. which are also considered exempt from many of these, as uh, these sorts of societies are and whatnot. Uh, it would really open the floodgates to a lot of things that I'm very much not comfortable with. So we'll see sure. on that one as well. And then the final relatively large case, um, 
uh, one that I think has a lot of potential to uh, surprise some people. The uh, Muscogee branch of the Creek Nation is suing Oklahoma. Oklahoma is uh, asserts authority over a bunch of land uh, that they say was, first of all, never assigned to a reservation at all, and second of all, if it had been assigned to a reservation, it was you know pulled out of it long, long ago. Uh, the Creek tribe maintains that no, the reservation was never resol uh, dissolved, and Congress never transferred any authority over the land to the state of Oklahoma. Um, this case came up relatively recently. Neil Gorsuch had recused himself at the time, and the court tied 4-4. Um, it's now back up before the court. Uh, it doesn't have a sympathetic client whatsoever, uh -huh. and that's going to make this hard. Um, the case is on behalf of a uh, life imprisoned inmate, in fact, life plus two 500-year terms, um, who was arrested and charged with raping a four-year-old girl on that part of that land. Um, and he's challenging that the state had no authority to arrest him whatsoever because it was tribal land. Uh, okay. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's not a sympathetic client at all, but um, Kavanaugh, I believe, in particular, was the one who has been extremely deferential to tribal rights to uh, a degree that you don't really see on the right. Uh, in fact, he was even willing to waive the Endangered Species Act in national parks to allow Native people to hunt traditional important animals. Um, he has been very deferential to Native treaties. Um, I think if you're going to see an expansion of Native rights, it might be this case, and it's probably going to be, I, I believe it was Kavanaugh. Uh, I thought that was more Gorsuch's hobby horse, but that might I, be. I get them very yeah. confused. They were both kind of drunks, if I remember right. One might have raised <laughs> Right, right, right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I think with one of Trump's picks, who's which one I can't remember now. I fail at political analysis. Make your apologies. Mm -hmm. uh, with one of them up, I, I do think that's probably going to go in favor of the tribe. Okay. But those are the five of the biggest cases of the eight remaining. And we're, yeah, we're already into July. That's, they're, they're running late. Usually, <laughs> they typically wrap this up by the end of June. It is the first time in, I believe, like a ridiculously long time, the courts issued opinions in July. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, they're, you know, they're, they're in extra innings. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, they are. They took some cases for next term. That put the brakes on a few things. Mm -hmm. um, Democratic attempts to get uh, Mueller uh, grand jury testimony is one of those. The courts right. added it to the uh, term for next term, and they put a, a stay on the case. So <laughs> as of now, nothing's going on with that, and it won't happen until after the election. Interesting. Well, God willing, it won't be super politically relevant by then. <laughs> yeah, yep. Uh, it was a holiday weekend. We had the 4th of July. Mm -hmm. uh, Trump went to Mount Rushmore. The uh, state, not the state troopers, the feds had to arrest a bunch of Native American protesters there uh, because, you know, it's stolen land. And that used to be a sacred right. mountain before we blew the faces of a bunch of presidents into it and whatnot. Uh, don't blame them in the slightest. And they decided they weren't going to just stand by while Trump came over and pissed all over it. 
I believe I saw 28 of them were arrested. Uh, the speech itself went just absurd. The man can't keep his words straight at all. I mean, to be perfectly honest, it's probably what's going to keep him from attacking Biden for mental agility or whatever he's going on about because, shit, Biden can just run some of these speeches word for word to defend against that. Mm -hmm. It keeps him from making much of any coherent attack on Biden at all because, yeah, it's it's serious. I mean, the man sounds ridiculous. You'd have to be deeply in the tank for him not to just be appalled and a little bit frightened whenever the man speaks for you know these lengthy rallies or pretty much any time extemporaneously. He's written before on how wonderful amphetamines are, and he wasn't firm <laughs> to have a prescription for amphetamines in 2016. I'm right. honestly concerned that maybe he was just doing a bunch of fucking drugs for the last year, because he's been getting worse. I mean, he was mm -hmm. not particularly great, but he was coherent in 2016. No rage yeah. and, and spittle flecked, but still coherent. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, I think 2016, what the big suspicion was that he was snorting Adderall, right? So, yeah, I yeah. Mean, he, he legitimately had, I don't know if it was Adderall specifically, but Adderall is just a prescription uh, amphetamine. He had an amphetamine prescription. I don't know what kind it was. It would not surprise me if he was snorting it. Yeah, yeah. Um, we saw a statue of Christopher Columbus come down in Baltimore for the 4th of July. Don't really know how they were related. It's not American. Just came over here. Bad dude. Yeah. Don't need statues for him. Right. Right. I mean, that's kind of what, I mean, just to tie it back in, that's what big part of Trump's big message about at, uh, Mount Rushmore was was statues and I guess the sacredness of the image against modern iconoclasts, if you want to put it in a much classier way than Trump ever did. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, it just feels like he almost doesn't care anymore. Yeah, like he knows he's losing. I don't so just might as well go out screaming and doing everything, all the parts of the job that he loved, which was yelling about uh, how this country's going down the tubes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Even though you know, he's the president, so he'd be the one person who yeah. could do something about this if it mattered to him so much. Speaking of the country <laughs> going down the tubes, we now have, uh, well, more virus cases of COVID-19 than we've ever had. Oh, yeah. We're hitting... Um, new daily records every day. The second spike is here, and it's not even really a second spike, because the first spike never really ended. It just plateaued for a while, and then started spiking again. Mm -hmm. um, California has placed seven new counties under lockdown, which accounts for most of the population of the state. Uh, Arizona has activated what they call their crisis care protocols, which is really battlefield medicine. It's evaluating every patient for how likely they are to survive, and giving the treatment to the ones that are most likely to survive it so that you don't waste the treatment. Uh, Texas has announced that they're roughly a week or so away from doing the same thing. Um, Houston in particular is pretty bad off. They're already over 90% uh, hospital bed capacity. Uh, Florida is seriously popping 10,000 cases a day. It's pretty ridiculous. 
And yeah. JJ had a wonderful point in the group about how you hear all about these death panels under, you know, nationalized healthcare or whatnot. But look at what we're doing. We yeah. have death panels in Arizona, which, you know, to be perfectly honest, you have to do that at that point. I'm not necessarily opposed to that, but death panels are a feature of our current medical system. Well, so sure. I mean, that's a method of rationing. freaking out about, you know, <laughs> potential death panels under the ACA, which were never really a thing. No, well, it was a dishonest way of characterizing, you know, end-of-life care. You know, the kind of, you know, the decision that gets made whether you need to continue with active, you know, medicine trying to preserve the person's life or move to palliative care and keep them, you know, comfortable. But, yeah, yeah, it's just absolutely horrific the extent to which we've failed to handle this, you know, medical crisis, this epidemic that's, you know, going to probably kill half a million people or more by the time it's done because it's just not getting better and we've done nothing to get things into a position where we might we might recover from this. Much of the world is frankly moving on and we're finding ourselves in a position where we're actually going to be excluded from going to parts of the world by you know quarantine actually that's the case right now with the EU they're not admitting people from the United States yeah you know they're they're open to most of the rest of the world but not to the United States because we have so thoroughly failed to get this under control here within our borders and thank god for brexit because if it weren't <laughs> for that the UK would not have been allowed to give uh, God, what's his name now? Uh, Tom Cruise, that exemption. Right. To film the new <laughs> Mission Impossible. They officially <laughs> exempted him from the 14-day quarantine. And that was if the thinking. bureaucrats in Brussels had their way, that would have been a freedom denied to Britain. <laughs> it's all worked out in the end. <laughs> That's coming up the four-year anniversary of that shit. Oh, God. Yeah, and they're still kind of working on it. <laughs> I mean, oh. the UK is out, but their like transition period is about to be up at the end of the year, and the EU is just like, you know what, fuck you guys. Sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're oh. trying to work out some like final agreement, and the EU left like a day early because they said Britain just didn't care. <laughs> they weren't at all interested. Oh, man. We got a uh, mask mandate in Texas for this virus. Well, Statewide, anybody in public. He had Marco eventually. Rubio uh, chiding people online saying that he doesn't know when wearing a mask became a political issue. <laughs> and it was this stupid-ass president that decided it you know, made him look weak that people were doing it. Yeah, make yeah. fun of Biden for doing it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm kind of anticipating restaurants being shut down again here in Oregon. Yeah. Yeah, uh, four of our five highest totals, like, in the entirety of the pandemic were the last five days, so. Yeah, and we're also spiking here in Washington, so, yeah, it's, it's not looking good. Just, it makes me think that we threw all that time away in lockdown when nobody was ever interested in doing anything about it. Like we were buying time as a society for mm -hmm. the medical people to get their shit together. And 
you know, they tried. God bless them. The doctors and the nurses and whatnot, they tried. But they did not get the things they needed from the federal government. And the federal government was more interested in holding these, like, on-camera, like, oh, I look like a big, strong leader press conferences than actually doing any of the things needed to get out in front of this. Exactly. Just... Ah, it pisses me off so, so, so much. Yeah. Over 120,000 people dead at this point. 130,000 at this point, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, And and climbing. Yeah, climbing every day. Mm -hmm. That's, it's just, I mean, look at the numbers here. I'm I'm actually, like, pulling them up. We're at 132,000 deaths. 132,000 deaths. Wow. How many people died in Vietnam? Americans? Uh, let's see here. Uh, 58,000. So Holy shit. Almost three Vietnams. Good God. And we'll we'll top ten before this is done. Yeah. Death. Absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Well, let's turn it around. We do have one local story. I didn't actually put it on the topic list. But uh, there was a, a fairly horrific accident in oh, – not accident. A fairly horrific assault and murder in Seattle the other day. Um, a suspect – in a vehicle, weaved through different police barriers uh, on a closed highway in order to get to where some protesters were, accelerated. Uh, when the protesters tried to get out of the way, he swerved to hit them, uh, struck two women, one of whom has died from her wounds at this point. Uh, the other one is expected to survive, but uh, just open season for, for some people on those that they disagree with. I didn't yeah. think we had come to actual political murders in the U.S., but here we are. It's, you know, some of that, of course, is, I think, the tone that's been set in this country by, again, the very top and the extent to which we've been polarized. But, yeah, it's, it's fucking dark. <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, I've said it before that we're coming apart at the seams, but it really... It seems like it more and more each day, even though paradoxically I get more hopeful each day that we're going to be able to come through this. Things keep looking better and better uh, from a macro sense, but there's just new depravity on, on the micro scale every time you look. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that was this week. <laughs> we do love to finish on a high note, but yeah. that's... That's a state of things. Yeah, it, it, I actually I was heard the other day that um, some of the people associated with the actually the television show community uh, have set up a podcast they call Darkest Timeline, like we used oh. to call it in the immediate aftermath of. Oh yeah, it's uh, the let's see here who. Oh, it's Ken Jong and Joel McHale, okay. who are running that now. So, you know, like we said immediately in the aftermath of the uh, 
of the election, you know, describing where we'd ended up. I mean, how about that? <laughs> yeah, it's really surprisingly spot on. Yeah. Yeah, I see it right here, Joel McHale and Ken Jong. Uh, mm-hmm. They pulled the they pulled the D and D episode of Community. Did you see that? Really, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, the um, the one they play with Fat Nick. Yeah, based based on that, or based on huh? No, based on um, Ken Jong's uh, Dark Elf. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. He's in okay. full body uh, dark paint and whatnot. Yeah. Okay, I could. Got a All little right. too close for blackface for them. Yeah. All right. I could understand that. It's... Okay. Kind of huh. sad. I thought it was the best episode of the series, but I also understand the need to be sensitive to things like that. Well, there's also, we've still got the paintball ones. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and to his credit, he was portraying a fantasy character of a you know different species. I don't look at it as quite the same as blackface, but... I do understand that it uh, is definitely close enough to the line that my opinion could just be wrong. Yeah. Like, I could be mistaken, and that is over the line. So sure. Yeah, I it's... totally respect their choice to do so. Yeah. Not my place so much to decide, you know, where yeah, where exactly. they want to draw that line. So, yeah. yeah. Not where I would have drawn it, but it's not my choice, and it's very sensitive, and I recognize that uh, I'm not necessarily the type of person who would be offended by it so i'm not the one to ask exactly yeah huh yeah so uh yeah there's your bit of community news on community weekly we hope to see you guys (laughs) next week it is a great show if anybody like has oh yeah should watch it kind (laughs) of watched a couple episodes here and there just to kind of go down memory lane a little bit but mostly i've been uh going back and doing a watch through on deep space nine so it's a great series oh yeah the best track you know no i'm convinced of that so uh, it's pretty good i i'm growing on discovery pretty hard oh really yeah i think discovery does a lot for me and it's not just that it's you know new track or whatever because i thought the card series was okay it wasn't <laughs> great but it was okay uh, Discovery has been incredible for me. I have absolutely loved it. I'm waiting for it to come back. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, and this is not political at all. Obviously, we're just talking about TV at this point. Sure. But, um, a- another good show that I just discovered. Uh, did you like Parks and Rec at all? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So Amy Poehler, who plays Leslie Nope, and Nick Offerman, who plays Ron Swanson, have a uh, like maker competition show called Making It, uh, where they they host a big barn with like all sorts of arts and crafts material and a wood shop and a metal shop and all that, and they have these like twelve makers who come come in that were selected you know chosen, and they have two tasks each day a fast task which they have to do in like three hours and then a master task which you know takes the entire day. And then mm-hmm. they have a couple famous judges uh, who, like, evaluates everything. And then, you know, one person gets a patch when they win. And then, you know, one person each day goes home or whatnot. It's actually quite good. It's on Hulu. Uh, they've got the second season on Hulu. Hmm. Oh, cool. Uh, you should check out. Their chemistry is just like it was in Parks and Rec, too. They're wonderful. Oh, sure. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, neat. Yeah. All right. Have a good week, man. And you as well.